Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Well, hi there. You are listening to After Party Pod. I am your host, Anna David. This is coming to you from the After Party Chat Empire or Enterprise. Take your pick. You can find us at afterpartychat.com. Although, you know, did you know, you guys know, of course, if you're listening to this, you know things. So you know you don't need to put the www anymore. That's like for our parents, if not our grandparents. Anyway, we are a website that is all about addiction and recovery. It's sort of lifestyles of the sober and sometimes fabulous. And uh, After Party Chat is, is you know, a subdivision of that. It's, it's the podcast. And uh, thank you for downloading. Please do be sure to check out the site. And, and if you like this podcast, by all means, tell your friends, tell even your your uh, virtual friends, uh, meaning the other people who might come upon this podcast on iTunes and want to know what you think of it. And that's what I've got to say. Today, my guest is Nick Sheff, who wrote the mega bestseller, Tweak. Uh, and it came out around the same time as his dad's book, uh, Beautiful Boy by David Sheff. Uh, and beautiful, the beautiful boy, uh, the title references is, is Nick. Um, Nick had a horrible, one of the worst addiction cases I've ever heard of, um, in terms of how far he took it and, uh, uh, just a, just a terrible addiction to meth, and he also did heroin and crack and all the all the the ones, you know, and he ended up getting sober, and um, is this insane success story, you know? He's married, and he just wrapped up a season as a as a writer on The Killing, that that show we all love, and he has his first novel coming out next year, and he is just a joy, and I, it is my great privilege to be his friend. I met him when I went to interview him a few years ago and and he ended up writing for me at the site where I was working and uh, he was just such a pleasure uh, to work with. Um, he's really unlike anybody I know. His just his natural sweetness is is evident in everything he does. And so today I uh, I got him on the podcast. I uh, 
got him to talk all about his addiction, uh, where that took him. He, he's straight, but he became a sex worker uh, with male clients. And um, he talked all about that and about what he needs to do to, to stay sober today. And he's just a great guy. So so that's about to happen. I would like to point out that that theme song you heard uh, came to us courtesy of the fabulously talented Seth Rothschild. The instrumental version you'll hear at the end, also Seth Rothschild. Uh, and yeah, thank you so much for downloading, and we will see you next week. Now this is my guest, Nick Chef. But I started this. Okay, awesome. We're being recorded, Nick. Awesome, I'm ready. We have never been recorded together, right? Because that would be weird, because, you know, we've hung out a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have, but, well, we have recorded oh, ourselves. We, so well, first of all, I lied, because you have recorded me. Remember when you interviewed me for your dance? Oh, yeah, totally. Was I being recorded, or did you take notes? Yeah, I recorded you, uh, audio-ly, yeah. definitely. And you recorded me when you first interviewed me, too, I bet. Oh, my God. Right? So we have been no, Never have before. two people been recorded more I know, than you and true. I. Yeah. So let's wait. Okay, so let's go back to that, because... Um, so I obviously became aware of you when Tweak came out. Well, and I guess first when I, when I read Beautiful Boy or when I read the excerpt in the New York Times. Oh, right, yeah. And I was so, because I'm from Marin, I was so intrigued. You know, who is this family? And um, yeah, we went to rival high schools, We kinda. went to rival high schools, kind of. I don't think I knew that at that point. And then it all just blew up. And, and then years later... Uh, I was working at a website, um, and your second book came out, and um, I put in a request to interview you, and I was super nervous and starstruck when I first met you, and we had coffee at King's Road. Yeah, that's right. I remember that, too. Yeah, and then you um, asked if I would be interested in writing on the site, which I totally was. Yes. And so then you were my editor for... And I was your editor for... Like a couple of years. A couple of years. Yeah. And they were, you know, it was such a crazy place that I worked for, but yet that somehow, like, our whole thing never really got sullied by that. No, no, it was you fun know? to work with you, yeah. And I remember we went out to dinner with, I think maybe the first time we went out to dinner with one of the... Um, owners. Owners of that publication. And I just remember having a really good time hanging out with you more than... Right. Anybody else. Right. And it was fun. <laughs> and we got to kind of laugh at the that experience. That together. was kind of a crazy experience. Yeah, I think that's when I was told that, um, like, just like, my friend reads your stuff and he thinks he thinks you're a bad person. Or so, It's like so insane. It was so insane. And it was like, I had, I guess, Munchausen syndrome. I don't know what you call that. That's not what I mean. No, that's, no. That's yeah, what Eminem like Stockholm syndrome, yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what is that? It's like where you get where you make your child sick yes. intentionally, like in the sixth sense. Yes, or like Eminem's mother did. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, he has a line about it. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no. Where I yeah, I thought it was okay because the the mistreatment was everywhere. You know, mistreatment isn't yeah. even a word, is it? No, I, can I? Is. Do I know how to speak English? Yeah, you do. Also, I think that maybe that owner was better than the owner that was previous. Hard so. to say. I mean, at first, say. though, maybe it seemed yeah. that way. Like he was going to be an ally versus um, yeah. what had come before. Yeah. So 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 we survived that, and then um, and then you know just got to be friends, and you were so loyal to me. Like you know when I was let go, 
and I was still writing for them, you said to me, I don't want to write now that you're not there. And I was, it was the most, it was the most like twisted, nice thing because I was going, no, Nick, write, write yeah. for them. I'm writing for them. I'm taking the money. You should take the money. And you, yeah, and well, you it was ridiculous it. That, that, I mean, I felt like what happened was going to happen, which was that when they let you go, that the magazine was going to totally fall apart. Well, that's that's and it did well. I don't know the direct result. I think that thing. the two are connected for sure. I, you did a really good job, like um, just being a really strong voice for recovery, and you well, brought a lot of cool people into the magazine. I, yeah, but and, but you know, it really it meant so much to me. The and and there were there were a number of people that said, I, I don't want to now that you're not there, but you, but you were the, the loudest. And you were the only one that I actually almost fought with about it, saying, right? go yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, and it just, the loyalty just meant so much, honestly. And um, Well, you've, I mean, besides just being my good friend, you've helped me out a lot, too. I mean, you introduced me to um, the Kindle Singles guy. And I know. I have been struggling to write a Kindle single for the last, like, two years. But they're the so year. short. Why are you struggling? I know. Well, um... Yeah, the one that I just wrote, actually, that got rejected was... Got um, rejected? Well, I wrote this Kindle single, just a short story about my relationship with my dad. And um, it was really meaningful to me and stuff, and I sent it to him. And he read it, and he was like, you know, this is really beautiful, and, you know, you should totally send this to your dad, because it's a really nice thing for him. But basically anyone who's read your books and, you know, knows about you and your dad is going to assume that you guys have this close relationship. So... It's not necessarily like news to anybody. So um, okay, does it does it Kindle single have to be newsworthy? I know. Well, you you know, he was just saying sort of he doesn't want to feel like I'm telling people what they already a story know. that they already know. Right. But the really great thing about it was that I did send it to my dad, and I hadn't told him that I've been working on it, and so he read it, and it was um, very nice, and he said he cried and everything, and mm. so that was a good thing that came out of it, for sure. Well, the two of you, I mean, I don't mean to be like this, are really cute together, because that night that I had dinner with you oh, guys, yeah, yeah. it's like he's all, like, he's so affectionate with you, and he's so, um, you guys just really genuine, like, in addition to loving each other, you really like each other, yeah, and that's, that's not something that I see with parents and kids yeah. that often. Yeah, no, I feel that way with my whole family. I feel really lucky, like, my stepmom and my dad and my little brother and sister, like, we all just went to Hawaii together. And you did? I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought I told you that, but no. I'm so, jealous. Is that why you're tan? Yeah, I think that must be why I'm so tan, because um, we were on, like, a little resort all together, and it was super fun, but it was just amazing, like, to all be there as a family, and I think that's right. Like, we all really like each other so much. Um, like, I, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but I feel like they're, like, my best friends and everything. It may be a cliche, but it's not a cliche that, like... But it's real, yeah. That you really hear that, and especially, I feel like, in, um, you know, with addicts. And, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's, like, a huge relationship between trauma and addiction, and I find that almost everybody I know who's, who's a sober addict has an extremely complicated relationship with their family, if not having suffered major trauma at the hands of their family. Yeah, you yeah, know? that's true. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that I really admire um, about my dad and stepmom, and I mean, it's amazing that you know he wrote this um, 
he wrote Beautiful Boy, and then he wrote this new book, Clean, um, right. that was just like this sort of really painstakingly researched, um, you know, comprehensive guide to addiction and recovery and everything. And for me, when when I um, heard him speak about the book, it was so touching because it was like, you know, I had this this problem, you know, I mean, I have this, you know, brain disorder, you know, this right. disease. and my dad cared so much about the fact that I was suffering from this illness that he just devoted his whole life to like researching it, finding out what the best treatment methods are, you know, finding out what it is in my brain that makes me act the way that I do and makes all addicts act the way that we do. And I just, you know, it was so touching to me that um, he cared that much about me to sort right. of change his whole career path. Because before that, I mean, he was writing about you know, business and, you know, music stuff. And I mean, right. he just wasn't interested in addiction at right, all. Right, right, right. Um, so that was really meaningful to me. I feel like I was with you when you had yeah, that yeah, realization. Because totally. we were hearing him speak at... Um... Yeah, that was the first time I'd heard him speak uh, for his new book. And yeah, it was sort of like, whoa, this is amazing that, you know, he's done so much. But, you know, it'd be like if I had cancer and right. he just became obsessed with learning everything about cancer well but i and and you guys the two of you have come to sort of be you know the best case scenario for if your kid goes down that path you know and i know people parents all over look to him and to you guys as sort of a model for what can happen because i think a lot of kids don't come back from I mean how far you took it yeah no that's true and I mean I was also really lucky I mean I, I was talking um, to somebody recently about this which is that you know there was a certain point where my dad said to me you know I can't take your phone calls anymore like I'm you can't come home I'm not gonna give you any money I'm not gonna help you unless you get into treatment and I was calling him you know totally strung out like begging him to let me come home and he wouldn't let me do that. And I think that saved my life because, you know, right. he didn't enable me to just, you know, sleep it off and then go back out again. But at the same time, you know, when he hung up the phone that day, I could have very easily taken that next shot and OD'd or, I mean, a million horrible things right. could happen. So we were super lucky, too, for sure. Well, and I feel like... Um the other thing that I would say, you know, from where I sit is unusual about your situation is that you guys were super, super close before all of that, you know, before the, you know, you started doing drugs and like, I do feel like, and I'm, I've made this up and I don't know that I've ever, I don't think I've ever run this by you, but this is the story I've made up in my head is you know, most addicts are troubled kids and are mean and are angry and are all of these things and they have really contentious relationships with their families like mm -hmm. I did. And then sort of c come to come to sobriety and realize, oh, the reason I was so difficult all those years is that I suffered from this disease and I was trying to medicate it and mm -hmm. all these things. Whereas I feel like you have been sweet your whole life because like you are the one person I know that like, I've never seen you be anything but sweet. Like you don't have that that edge that most addicts and most people have. Mm. So I have this idea that you were just this sweet, sweet little boy and that and then young man and that's why it was so shocking what happened. I'm not saying it wasn't shocking when I became an addict, but I 
feel like it was really shocking in your family. Yeah. No, I, I think that's true because we were so close. Because, so, like, I would go over to friends' houses and, you know, we'd be in my friend's room for, like, in high school or whatever for, like, a few days, you know, doing drugs and partying or whatever. And I'd never even see their parents. But for me, it was like when I came home, you know, no matter what, like, my dad and stepmom were always, like, there and they wanted to talk and watch movies and hang right. out I and mean, we were all like we were very close yeah so I think for them like it was really painful to see me pull away whereas for some of my other friends you know they just weren't that close with their parents so it wasn't such like a dramatic break or whatever when they started kind of right. spiraling out of control or whatever but I think that you know I I definitely do have like um you know, a, an edge to me too. And I think that actually, if anything, I feel like in some ways, you know, um, cause I have, have such a hard time with like confrontation and with, um, you know, sort of stating my needs and stuff that that was actually something that initially I felt like drugs kind of gave you. me. Yeah. Right. Because like when I was using, I could suddenly, I felt like I could be like, you know, stronger and be able to like, um, you know, tell people no and like, you know, stand up for myself more. And so it felt very like, um, it, like, it, like freedom or something. Right. Like I remember actually when I went to my first, I'm sure a lot of people have this, um, feeling, but when I went to my first rehab beforehand, I was being interviewed by the woman, you know, the intake woman. And, you know, she was telling me about, you know, how these drugs were my problem and everything. And I was like, you know, the drugs aren't my problem. Like they're the, they're the solution. They're the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I'm able to finally like be, you know, strong and state my feelings or whatever, you know, in a way that I never had before. So, um, getting, you know, now that I'm sober, it's like, that's something that I still struggle with is learning how to have like a, a voice in sobriety or whatever. Right. And, um, you know, I feel like I've gotten better for sure, right. but, um, you know, I still struggle with it. Well, that's interesting. I mean, because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always see you as just like so sweet and even like the work situations where, where we together have had to deal with some sort of difficult personalities. Like I'm just going, oh, I wish I could be more like Nick and just sort of roll with the punches and not get offended and upset, you know? So yeah, you I mean, say, I think I do. I just keep it. I just hide it better. Yeah. Or real well. <laughs> really well. So, okay. So, but so just let's go over like really what happened. So it's like, you started smoking pot at what age? Uh, I think I started smoking pot when I was 11 um, and drinking when I was 11. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, I had that experience when, especially when I feel like when I smoked, the first time I drank, I got so drunk that I threw up everywhere. So right. that wasn't an amazing experience. But the first time I smoked pot, I really felt like, oh my God, this is the answer to my problems. Like, I felt much more confident. I felt like... Um, I belonged. I felt like I could sort of talk to people in a way that I never could before. It really felt like sort of the thing that I'd been missing. Um, and once I started smoking pot, I smoked pretty much every day, like all through high school, um, especially like towards the end, um, like senior year, you know, I'd wake up first thing in the morning and start smoking pot and I would smoke all day long. And um, really, I, I think the reason that I um, started doing harder drugs was because 
um, at a certain point, like, it didn't matter how much pot I smoked. Like, I could right. just be smoking pot all day long, which I was, and I wasn't getting that same sense of relief or whatever. So I decided to try to kind of try something else, like, what else is going to make me feel right. that way? And so, you know, I tried Coke and ecstasy and, um, you know, pills or whatever, and all those things... I liked all those things, but right. it really wasn't until I found um, meth. crystal meth. Yeah, that was like the one that really um, was like totally the answer to what I'd been looking for. And so you tried it when you were like how old? Eighteen. I tried crystal meth, and um, from the moment that I did it, I think that I was completely addicted to it. Like that feeling that it gave me that first time was um, so intense and so. I mean, I remember, I think I, I mean, I've written about this, but I think right. I really said, like, I wish I'd been breastfed on this. Because right. this was the thing that I'd been needing my whole life. And my life spiraled out of control super fast once I started taking right. it. Right. And so then you started, and then you got kicked out of your house. Well, you dropped out of college. Yeah, I dropped out of college. Um, yeah, I, I um, got kicked out of the house. I was um, living, you know... First, I was living in a friend's, like, garage in San Francisco, and then I got kicked out of there, and so I was living in a park in San Francisco, and I was um, stealing and, and um, you know, doing terrible things to make money. Um, you know, I was a sex worker for a little bit of time in San Francisco. How did that start? Um, I guess, you know, I, it's interesting. I feel like um, the whole, like, sex worker thing is so exactly connected with like my feelings of um insecurity and like self-hatred and everything like I just I guess I always felt so like I um just really hated myself and so you know I felt like drugs were gonna make me feel better about myself and I also felt like being wanted by right. people was gonna make me feel better about myself and I mean I um you know i was always straight. I mean, I couldn't help that, you know, right. and, and, um, but I didn't get the same, like when I would walk down certain neighborhoods, uh, the street of certain neighborhoods in San Francisco, like I would get attention, you know, in a way that you never was had very, or... yeah, yeah, it was very flattering to me. And, um, and so, you know, when so like in the hate basically, or somewhere like Castro, the yeah. Castro. Yeah. yeah. When I was 18 and I would walk around the street there, like I would, and men would sort of be whistling, like what would happen? Yeah. I guess, I mean, not whistling at me, but like, <laughs> yeah, like cat calling me, but, right. um, you know, people would come up to me and, and, um, you know, ask me out and, um, I was, you know, even propositioned, which is basically how it ended up happening. Oh, so somebody comes up to you and they say, Hey, I want to have sex with you. How much? Or yeah, something. basically. I mean, yeah, not, um, not, not like it wasn't quite as extreme right. as like, um, let's have sex right away. But it was, um, it was, yeah, it was along those lines for right. sure. And then I, you know, would just go. I mean, basically, I just go into like gay bars in um, San Francisco and you know just sort of wait for someone to come up to me. But how? Okay, this is not the really the point, but yeah. I'm curious anyway. How would you communicate that it costs money? Oh, well, I think it, I don't know. It just always was sort of, I think it was the people that were propositioning me. It was sort of understood. understood. Yeah. Okay. I mean, cause I guess, I mean, I was obviously homeless and 
Um, and very young. And at very young, and you know, doing drugs. I mean, a drug like a hard drug addict. And you would say that up front, or I think that I. It was know, obvious. I was obvious, yeah. And so it was like, well, you know, all right, well, I need you know this amount of money, you know, and I need you to buy me a drink and get me food or whatever. And I mean, because um, I wasn't even. 21 so I would right. um, have to like sneak into these bars and right. stuff and then right. in New York too uh, so that crazy weirdest thing um, was that when I was doing all this in San Francisco um, I uh, pretty randomly ran into like some um, old family friends that um, were visiting San Francisco that were kind of this wealthy family yeah and, and you wrote about them in tweet yeah, right? yeah. And, um, you know, just like the son, it was a, a mother and her son, and he um, he saw me and was just like, oh my God, like, you know, what have you done to yourself? Like, it had been years since he'd seen me. And, you know, I was, I mean, I, I barely probably weighed 120 pounds or something. I was super skinny and just messed up. And so he was like, you know, if you come with us right now, like, we'll bring you to New York, you can detox in our, um, apartment, um, you know, I'll get you a doctor and, you know, you can, I'll get you a bunch of pot, you can just smoke a bunch of pot and, you know, you'll figure out your life or whatever. And, um, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think if it had been, like, if he'd said, like, I'm going to take you to rehab or whatever, I wouldn't right. have gone, but because it was like, he was kind of this cool guy and it right. seemed like, um, you know, cool, I don't know, whatever. It just seemed more palatable to me than, like, going into rehab. So, definitely. Yeah, going definitely. Going to a nice house. Yeah, going to a nice house and, house and smoke a lot of pot, yeah. So I I, um, I think I, I, like, disappeared for a couple days and, like, just did a ton, a ton of drugs, and I showed up. Um, they were staying at the Four Seasons Hotel right. in um, San Francisco, and uh, I... I think the night before I had like gone in a crazy meth craziness and I'd like chopped up my backpack <laughs> and I have a tendency to do this. So it was like, I had like a camping backpack and another backpack and I like chopped it all up and I was going to like sew it all together oh to God. make an amazing bag. You were that was way too be... resourceful on drugs and like your head was bigger than your stomach or whatever uh, that Yeah, I could is. not. So anyway, so I just had no bag. So I had all these clothes that were totally stupid. I don't even know why I needed to bring them anyway, but I got a laundry shop, uh, yeah, a laundry cart out of a laundromat and I stole it and I brought it to where the park where I was living and I put all my stuff in this laundry cart and I wheeled it down to, down Market Street to the Four Seasons and, um, I tried to go in and the big bouncer bodyguard people were like, you are not coming into yeah. this hotel. And I was like, no, no, I'm here to see this, these guests. And, um, you know, they told me no again. And then they asked me who the name was of the people that I was going to go see. And, um, they are sort of famous people. So I just knew like when I said their name, they were going to just think I was totally crazy. Right. It was like this very well-known people. Right. So I said their name and they were like, no, like get the hell out of here. Right. You know, we're going to call the cops or whatever. And I like begged and pleaded them to let me in. And, um, finally, you know, I think someone from the reception desk came out or whatever, and they called upstairs and they let me come in. And so then that pretty few hours later, we flew out to New York. Um, and, um, you know, I, they eventually set me up in my own apartment there and everything but um you know I hadn't 
I hadn't done anything to work on myself or right. like, you know, really like. And they were communicating with your dad? Uh, yeah, actually my dad, they were, but my dad was like trying to get them not to do Help that. You. Yeah. Right. Um, so they went against his wishes. Wow. Um, but so then when I was in New York, then I started basically just doing all everything all over again. And, um, you know, ended up getting, um, when I was doing the sex working thing, I ended up getting beat up super terribly bad. And, um, how, what happened? You know, I don't a hundred percent remember, but I was with this one guy and then another guy came that I think was like his boyfriend or something. And, right. um, I, um, tried to resist them and they didn't, they, um, didn't so want me to leave. And so I got super beat up. And, By both of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, from what I remember, and then I remember, um, I remember, like, they left me alone for a minute or something, and, um, they had, like, this GHB vial, mm -hmm. and I was like, I just want to get away from here, so I just drank the whole thing, um, and then the next thing I knew, I woke up in the emergency room, so thankfully they called the... Um, Which is amazing that they did. Yeah, it was amazing that they did. So you overdosed on GHB, basically. Yeah, but I also had, like, broken ribs and my, like, you know, eye was all swollen shut and I was, like, bleeding internally and I was super messed up. But, um, yeah, I think what they literally did was they, like, threw me out on the sidewalk, basically, and called, right. like, because they would have gotten in trouble or whatever. Yeah, totally. Ugh. Um, but then, after that, basically, um, you know, I was able to get into treatment from that moment on, and, you know, I relapsed again after that, right. but that was kind of the last, like, really horrible experience of, of that type that I ever right, had. Right, that was sort right. of a wake-up call to me to, you know, be more careful with myself in the future. And so then you, yeah, you got, you got sober, you came out to L.A., you were in a sober living, you got in a very serious relationship that yeah. might have been a little, like, self-destructive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that was sort of the end of that world, like, um, getting beat up like that in New York. Um, and so, you know, I came out to L.A. and, yeah, I was sort of really working the AA program. And, yeah. you know, I'd been sober for, like, a year and a half or something. Um but I think, again, you know, I still, I was doing more work on myself, but I still hadn't totally learned how to, like, love myself and how right. to, um, you know, accept myself for who I was. So when I had the opportunity to get in this relationship with this woman, um, you know, I felt like she was someone that I felt like, God, if she were to really love me and right. want to be with me, then that would really make me feel good about myself finally. Um, but unfortunately, she was um secretly doing drugs still which in retrospect like i'm such an idiot that i didn't know like right, she would it be was obvious it was so obvious like i i remember i'd wake up in the middle of the night and she'd be like locked in the bathroom for hours and I'd be like what do you you know and she'd be like oh i have asthma like i'm um using like you know a nebulizer or whatever i don't want to wake you up but it was like every night and um anyway it turned out she was like smoking crack and so i started smoking crack with her and um we ended up like that was sort of the like if that if period of time in New York was sort of the most like sort of self-destructive kind of like with sex and drugs and everything like this was the most destructive period with just like pure like we were using so many drugs like 
such huge quantities every single day, um, you know, shooting everything mm. to the point where, um, you know, my body like literally like started to shut down. Um, and I like was, um, you know, like my insides basically stopped working mm. and, um, I was just so, so, um, sick and, um, you know, I probably would have ended up dying uh, with her, except for that. Um, You're both still alive today. Yeah, we are both still alive. And the, I mean, the only I think the thing that saved us, weirdly enough, is that I tried to at a certain point. My mom lives in LA. I tried to break into her house right. and um, to get this computer, and I got caught when I was there. Right. And um, they, a, a, you know, police officer showed up, and they're basically like, "You can go to detox, or you can go." to jail and so I agreed to go to detox because I didn't want to go to jail right and she got into detox um you know the next day I guess and um I don't you know I think we both have relapsed since then both of us but um that was really like the end of the um you know it yeah never got that and bad I don't again. know her well at all but yeah. it's like I don't it, yeah I don't from know what, what I can tell anymore. through Facebook and stuff like she seems to be yeah you know Doing, doing, you can never tell from Facebook yeah, or anything, yeah. but like, you know, whatever. You guys are, neither yeah. of you are doing what you were doing. Right, no, totally. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's, she's alive and I'm alive and everything yeah. and, you know, living our, living, really like living yeah. real life. Yeah. And so you, um, and so then you, when you actually really took to sobriety, a, a lot of your story is about like accepting that that there was a mental illness as well, the sort of dual diagnosis. Yeah, that's true thing. for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it was really um, another reason that I really look up to my dad is that um, you know he struggled with a lot of um, not ever with substance abuse stuff, but he struggled with a lot of like self-esteem issues, and you know I mean, he had an affair on my mom, and um, you know was in some really terrible relationships and stuff, and. Um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, it was pretty like tumultuous for a while. And then he made the decision at a certain point, like he was going to get help and he, you know, started going to therapy really regularly and he got on medication and everything. And I could really see the way that his life like completely turned around and, you know, he married my stepmom and they have this really amazing relationship. And so it was a cool example of like how when someone makes a decision to change and does the hard work to change that it, it is possible. Um, right. And so I sort of felt like, okay, well maybe I can do that too. So I started going to therapy and yeah, when they, um, diagnosed me with having bipolar disorder, um, you know, I, it totally made sense. <laughs> like when they, when I, you know, I, they listed like the symptoms or whatever. And it was like, yes, 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 yes. Like I, you know, hundred percent like agreed with it. Right. Um, so I went on, yeah, the medication, uh, for it and yeah, you're right. I mean, it was, um, the, there were a few periods of time where I was sort of like, well, maybe I don't need the medication or like i feel better now so I can stop taking it. Um, but what I've come to understand is that like in order for me to be okay and happy and living a good life every day, like there are these things that I have to do every day right. to make that happen and I have to keep doing them and you know it's just like anything else like you have to work a job you have to you know do the dishes you have to so what are those key things for you taking um, your medication yeah taking my medication for, for sure um you know still going to therapy um 
you know, for me, I feel like I've had to really just come to accept, like, who I am as a person. And, right. you know, I always wanted to be, like, someone that was really social and that had a lot of friends and that was, like, the going out to parties all the time It is and stuff. impossible to get you out. Yeah. I know this from experience. Yeah, I feel, well, I feel like I've had to sort of accept, like, okay, like, what makes me really happy is, like... Being home. Yeah, writing, like, being right. with my wife, like, you know, watching movies, you know, taking my dogs out, like, just sort of these simple things that, you know, I guess if I was five, you know, five or six years ago, I would have looked at myself now and been like, I would a loser, like, you know, he, he's not cool at all. But, um, but for me, you know, I feel like that is what actually does make me happy and and being close to my family and, um, you know, also sort of the whole spirituality thing. I mean, I think that's something that I, um, struggle with, but I definitely, um, work towards having sort of a connection with the whole higher power, whatever. Well, it, it, to me, it seems like that comes your walks with your dog Dogs, yeah, dogs, yeah, are is very spiritual for you. I mean, that's sort of the sense yeah. I get that that's part of it. It's if it's not so much getting on your knees and like, yeah, you know, doing a prayer, but it's more, yeah. And I like meditate kind of like when I'm walking, like I'll like, um, you know, try to like uh, sort of ground myself and you know, kind of get present and where I am and look around and be like, you know wow, like, it's really beautiful here, and, you know, this is my life, and I feel so much gratitude and stuff for everything that I have now in my life. Um, well, yeah, and so, and then pretty exciting career stuff started to happen. I mean, obviously, you wrote Tweak, and it was this mammoth bestseller, which you couldn't have expected. Yeah, no, not at all. And it's cool. I mean, it feels like people are, it's like, um... You know, I think, like, in high schools and stuff, like, because it was, like, a YA book, it's, like, you know, I think it's, like, a thing that kids are reading. It's Oh, like, I'm sure. Um, Do you know how many curriculums it's... No, in? but, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, there's, like, Go Ask Alice was, like, the big book yeah. about... Um, that frightened the shit yeah. out of me when I was a kid. I know. I had, you know, I had no idea that it wasn't true. I was like... Oh, it wasn't? No, it's not true. No. I mean, everyone, it's not, everyone knows that now that it's not I don't, true. All I just remember, I, I don't really, I just remember that it was scary. Yeah, and nothing. sad because she dies at oh, the she end. She dies at the yeah. end. Okay. But then it turned out that it was all like some, you know, it was all a hoax or whatever. Right. Not a hoax, but it wasn't a real right. story. But, um, but anyway, it feels like, you know, Tweak now is like, you know, kids are reading that in that same way and it's really, it's cool. Um, and then, um, I just finished writing my first novel, which is very exciting. And Anna, you actually helped me with that because you gave me, but I didn't, I mean, it's, it's amazing that that worked out. Yeah. No. I mean, it's really my friend, Sherry. Yeah. Yeah. Credit, that's, yeah. You know? But you introduced me to her. I introduced yeah. you to Sherry and she's really smart and, um, she's a, a really writer. good editor and she helped me edit it. And, and she introduced me actually to the editor, that is the actual editor at, the book, at yeah. Penguin that is doing it, yeah. And she, Sherry sold her novel, by the way. Oh, she did? Oh, that's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, 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 another one. That's great. I need to, uh, I need to um, email her and let her know what's going on. Because it just got, like, 
you know, I was, I mean, I knew, but anyway, it just got accepted, like, finally accepted, uh, everything hooray. done, yeah. When like, is, what's the release week. date? Not till um, fall 2014, I don't know why Because they so need long. a lot of time to, amp- I'm just kidding, do you remember that Yeah, that's we right, talking? yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I know they really want to amp me up, like, Yeah, because they're going to spend every minute until yeah. then. No, but I'm sure, actually, it is true, and you're, and that's not, wait, hold on, that's it's a year that from far. now. It's a year from now, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is weird that it takes so long, but... Um, I guess, I don't know, you know, but he did say, he actually, t- I talked to him the other day and he was like, I want you to do, be, a, he's, he wanted me, he's like, I want you to be a media whore for this. And I was like, oh, okay. That's you were a media whore for, I mean, it's a terrible word. No, no, Especially when you're talking to a I former know. sex worker. I know, I know. But yeah. no, but I mean, Tweak, you got everywhere. Yeah, totally. I mean, and, um. Yeah, no, crazy, like Oprah and everything, which is so funny because that, um, that's like, it seems like, I mean, I just, it was such like a, a whirlwind yeah. that it doesn't even feel like it all really even happened. But. And you weren't really committed to sobriety. No, no, then, that's true. So you yeah, were... yeah, that's true. I wasn't. I mean, I was, but I, I was committed to it. I just didn't wasn't successful. At right, it. I right, wanted right, to be right. sober. As far as you knew, you were committed yeah. to it at the moment. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, and it's sort of, you know, hard. I feel like is that um, at a certain point, you know like as an addict, I wanted to be sober and I just didn't know how to be sober, you know, and that was so right. painful for such a long time, you know, cause in some ways when I was younger and it was like, I never even had the concept of like wanting to be sober, then, um, at least that, con- you know, it's like they say that, um, you know, AA ruins your drinking or right. something. It's right. kind of like that once you kind of realize, like recognizing yourself, like, I'm an alcoholic addict and I have this disease, then it is so painful to continue to keep relapsing, you know, knowing that what you're doing is wrong, like having no illusions that, you know, you're right. a normal person. It really, um, it's like really devastating. So I remember feeling that at the time that it was like, I wanted so badly to be able to stop and I just didn't feel like I could. Interesting. I was just talking to somebody this morning about how people, you'll hear people say, um, yeah, you know, it's like I could quit drugs and I don't even have to go to those meetings and I can drink and they're really proud of it. Yeah. As if that's some great, you know, that's some great accomplishment. It's like, you know, and you know how I feel, the meetings are what bring me the joy. And, and, I don't know. It's if you're an addict and you're drinking. I mean, again, it's like that expression, you know, a head full of AA and a body yeah. full of booze is a horrible combination. Yeah. yeah I mean, I know some, like my friend, I have a really good friend, Max, who, um, it, you know, I was in treatment with and he was a heroin addict and he is, doesn't do heroin anymore. He drinks occasionally, right. but I really, I, mean, I think maybe we've talked about this before, but it does seem like there is, there are people, like, a, I actually have another friend who's very similar. It's like, there are people, I think, who have become addicted to a drug, and then they end up getting yes. off that drug, and that was their problem, and then they're, but they're not, like, alcoholics with the disease right. of alcoholism or whatever, whereas for me, like, I feel like... I, whether it's alcohol, no matter what substance it is, like, right. it triggers that, 
response in me that you know phenomenon of craving or whatever well I think it's also that they cannot there's no test that exists that says you're a heavy user yeah. and you're an addict or what's you know when are you dependent on a drug and when are you addicted you know right. you do an addictive substance enough times right. you're going to become addicted yeah, exactly. to it right. especially it like a heroin anyone can right. become addicted to heroin but that doesn't right. mean that they have that like genetic whatever you well know. and the way of thinking that yeah. does require um something if right. you're going to take that drug yeah. away yeah that's right yeah that's that's totally yeah i mean i i feel like someone heard when they talk about like addiction being a brain disorder i feel like that really resonates with me because i mean yeah. it is a disease i totally get that but somehow that seems because it's like yeah it's like there's something in my brain that is wrong. That Why do you think it makes people so mad? The disease thing? You no, know, that, that's called a disease. I mean, that just enrages yeah, me. Yeah, I know. Even, uh, you know, um, for my dad's book, he said that was the thing that sort of surprised him the most is when he was, you know, going on these talk shows and stuff that people really have a... a violent reaction to why, that. Why do you think that is? I don't is? know. I mean, I guess because people feel like someone, I guess because it comes down to choice. So I right. feel like people think that um, someone, you know, who has cancer, like they don't have a choice. They have cancer. Whereas they feel like someone who is a drug addict, like they're making the choice to put the drug in their body. Right. Um, so that's why for me, you know, understanding it as like sort of a, a brain disorder, a psychological, I mean, it, but it's more than psychological. I mean, it's a physical, you know, malady or whatever, right. but somehow that makes it like a little less sort of like you're saying, you know, it, there's an element of choice to it. Of course, like, you know, I have this disease, it's not active right now, but if I were to go, you know, take a drink, like I would activate it. That would be my choice. Right. But once I take that drink, then it really becomes not my choice that's anymore. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, that really is. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, it, it, so it's, it's subtle. I mean, that's the thing I guess also is that people really like, you know, things to be black and white. And, um, when something, you know, takes a little bit of nuance in order to understand it, you know, people have a hard time with that or whatever, I think. Yeah. I think that's true. I, um, so, okay, wait, this was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now there's more. Okay. Okay, so the game that we play on this podcast is, you could call it a game, or you could just call it me asking an impossible question. Okay, all right. I might know it, though, if it's about that show you're you, talking Okay, about. so my, it's, which is the, which episode of My Strange Addiction is fake? I th do you used to watch it? No, I have watched it, though. <laughs> yeah. I think you're the first podcast guest who's actually seen, seen the it? show. Oh, yeah. yeah, I saw it. Well, it's good. Yeah, okay, okay. okay. Now, I, I was coming up with a new one for every podcast guest, but then I realized something, which is that I can just ask you the same one I asked yeah, my last I don't guy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so which was not an episode of My Strange Addiction? One, the woman who chews on electric cords. Okay. Two, the woman who eats drywall. Three, the, <laughs> the woman who lives as an adult baby. Oh god, that's overconfident, a hard one. Overconfident, my friend. Yeah, I was a little overconfident. Um, you know, they all. I think the electrical cord one is the one that I'm gonna say is false. <laughs> Wait, I'm having this moment where I can't remember. Um, 
wait, I think I'm losing it because I think that that is the false one. And now I'm thinking that on the last episode, I told my last guest that that was the drywall one that was. Well, fake. maybe that is it, but I feel like I. No, I, I feel like the drywall. Adult one baby, I guarantee. Yeah, that true. one's real. Yeah. No, no, no. Dry. You're right. You're right. Right? Yes, because drywall, I wouldn't even know that term. No, I saw one where they were eating couch cushions. <laughs> I'm serious. And toilet paper. <laughs> what a different person. One person was eating couch cushions and another one was eating... Yeah, that show was like funny to watch for like one second. I gotta get better at this game depressing. so that I can remember. But I think you got it, so congratulations right. to awesome. you. Yeah. Awesome. That's, I think that's kind of depressing, actually, that I <laughs> know what that show is. Which is the one with the toilet paper was so funny because the mom was like yelling at her all the time. It's like, stop eating that toilet tissue or whatever. Do you think that some of them were fake? Or uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. I mean, yeah, if you were, eat, let's say you had a, a habit of eating tissue. Would you really tell your parents? Like, wouldn't if that was your secret thing? Yeah. Let, let alone a television show. Yeah, yeah. I. I, I mean, because uh, they would obviously anyone else would say, "Don't do that." Yeah, I mean, but then like, see, I, it's so embarrassing. I've watched this show, but <laughs> they at the end of the episode, they like take them to a doctor. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's all fake, but right, and they, they show all the and they show like system. you know basically like is there going to be a harmful, you know, reaction? Like, there's one woman that I saw that was like wash herself with bleach constantly and so they bring her to a dermatologist you mean her something. skin yeah like okay. she'd be in the bath and like wash oh, herself oh, oh, with God. bleach okay. all the time and you know and the dermatologist is like you know that's a poison it's getting into your body like you know you have these high levels of whatever like you need to stop doing it so i don't know people are weird i i feel like um it's not you know it's just it, it does seem like in a way in our society like if not everyone is addicted to something, everyone at least is connected to somebody that is addicted to something. For sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sort of, you know, my strange addiction, those those are so anomalous, sort of what the things are. Right, that yeah. I, but yes, I do think that that is true of the society we live in, you know, whether it's work or internet. You know, I went to the acupuncturist this morning and... It was I'd never been there before, and they made you do all these weird things where you had to stretch your leg in this certain position, and the needles. And I was almost having a panic attack, being not able to look at my phone. Oh, oh, interesting. And I, yeah. I thought, oh, this is this is how you get diagnosed. Yeah. This is what they're talking about yeah, when they're totally. talking about that addiction. Yeah, no, I, I totally. I think that um, you know, being a, I mean, I think almost everybody is addicted to like distraction now, like and yeah. sort of the phone and the. TV and the you know the Facebook yeah right all the social networking stuff. you're good with that you don't get that into that even no not not that into that but I know but I I, I mean I do the thing with my email like we've talked about that where it's like you know <laughs> okay. you get a little like surge of you know endorphins when you get like an email from certain people oh dopamine and yeah. yeah so I like email like my agent. You know, just like an innocuous question, just to get an email oh, from that's them. That's hilarious, so really. That I'll just like, even... like, oh, it's exciting. It's from them, and then it's like nothing. But at least I get that little like boost of. But have you ever had the totally sad thing that I've had, where you email yourself a picture or something like that, and you go, woo, and you oh, get yeah. the dopamine rise, and you go, oh, it was me. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, oh, uh, totally, totally. That's happened to me before. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, now we have a question from Twitter. Okay. Um. It says, how should I react to an addict friend who went through my stuff and stole, and stole my prescription drugs? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I think that 
you know, if it were me, I guess, and I was going, I mean, I was going through that with somebody, I feel like, um, you know, I would probably cut, I mean, I, not like, I would probably cut that person out of my life until right. they got treatment. I mean, I think that, um, right. But, but I mean, obviously if it happened to you, you have all this experience with addiction and so you would, you know, know what to say, but what if it's, I mean, it's kind of hard to say, but if yeah. it's someone who doesn't, yeah, no, I, I mean, and maybe I, I they get, don't want to say to that person, Hey, yeah, no, it's totally a complicated situation. I mean, I understand it's super awkward and stuff too, but well, like when, I mean, I guess it's hard to take it away from myself but right when I had um a friend of mine a few years ago um that I found out like I was going I went on a hike with him and he his dog he was like reaching to get a dog bag out of his pocket <gasps> and, and it, I told you that and, and like a needle happened? fell out yeah. on the ground and it, at first I was like even like trying to make up excuses for him you know I was like oh maybe like his aunt is a diabetic or I don't know. I was like trying not to look in the face, like what right. actually was going on. Um, but you know, then once I kind of realized that and I, you know, went up to him afterwards and I, after the hike, yeah, I think I like went home or something and then I came back to like see him afterwards and I was like, you know, cause I was trying to figure out what to do. And, um, you know, I basically, I said, you know, I really want, to help you any way I can, you know, get you into treatment. Like if you need help, um, you know, putting down payment for it or just getting a referral or whatever, like, you know, but I, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, but I just can't like be around you while you're using. I mean, it's just, um, right. you know, and, and I think beyond it being, even if I wasn't an addict and it wasn't dangerous for me, I feel like, um, for for someone who's struggling with addiction to have a friend say to them like I can't be around you until you agree to get sober it just m maybe will help them to realize that like you know this is a problem this is affecting me and you know it gives them like a consequence that is right. um, maybe valuable and well and it's like what you said about your dad not yeah, exactly. being codependent with you is what saved your life yeah i think and so we're right so with, if it's a friend if i'm saying like you know you need to stop doing this but i'm going to keep hanging out with you and being your i mean i'll still be his friend but you know i'm going to keep hanging out with you and acting like you know we're just buddy buddy going to a movie or whatever it doesn't i feel like it's like um you know it's sort of enabling in right. a way so um you know, I think it, as hard as it is to draw that line, and I, you know, and I, I think that's actually something that I always tell people is that, um, you know, I, I think there's a tendency to feel like you, the addict is going to think like, oh, they don't love me anymore, oh, they are not my friend anymore. Um, but like when my dad said that to me, I never thought like, oh, my dad doesn't love me. I just <laughs> thought like he loves me and he wants what's best for me and this is what he thinks is going to help me. I mean, I knew that then and, you know, if it had been a friend that was doing that, it would have been the same thing. I, I would never have thought like, oh, they don't like me anymore. I would have thought like they're doing this because they're trying to help me. Right. And even if I didn't, I didn't want him to do that, I wanted him to say, you right. know, come home and I'll feed you or whatever. But, um, you know. Anyway, so yeah, that would be my advice. That's good advice. That's good advice. So I think that that we've 
We've, we're done. All right, awesome. So um, thank you so much. People can follow you on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Not that you tweet all that much, no. but at Nick Chef. Yeah, I, I tweeted. I tweeted. I tweeted yesterday. You did. Yeah, I was upset to find out that Netflix has changed the word cute. I know. Why list. is everybody so upset about I that? Don't know, I just think it's kind of annoying. Um, and also, uh, that you wrote on this uh, this season of The Killing. Yeah, people should yeah, know that's that. True. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, hopefully, um, you know, fall goes well, then Schizo, my new novel, is going to be out next uh, fall. So that's that's not that far away. No, no. Okay, well, Nick, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Anne.